today we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. And uh, just the last, you know, I love, I love those songs. All the songs that we are singing today, there's a lot. I, it's, uh, I, I could, I'm over there singing like I'm in a concert performing, you know, like I'm really good. But I just love the music. Uh, just as a reminder, October 28th, the band's going to be doing a concert. It's going to be just probably just a little bit over an hour, so they'll be playing all those great songs, and you'll have the opportunity to hear them. And then I'm thinking about just following up with my own little album, uh, preaching for like an hour, hour and a half, so you'll definitely not want to miss that. But anyway, uh, that's going to be on October 28th, but I love that last song. There is power in the name of Jesus. That is the hope that we have, and uh, our series for this, really for the next couple of months, is called Soundtrack. What kind of music is your life making? And the idea behind this is that every person's life makes some kind of some kind of noise, some kind of music. And so whenever people that you are around, when they, when they are with you, when they are looking at you, when people are working with you, your life is playing a song. And, and last week we talked about one of those songs that every, every believer ought to have on their soundtrack is a song of authenticity. Uh, we ought to be authentic in our faith. I mean, where we are genuine when we say that we love Jesus and that we follow him. And then today we're going to see another one of the songs that ought to be on the soundtrack of, of your life and my life is, is relationship. And I'm not talking about just relationship with people. I mean, that, those things are good. But I'm talking about having a real and a genuine relationship with God. And I think for some people, that's, that's kind of unusual. Because I think many times what we think of, when we think of our faith, when we think of being a Christian, what it means is following a bunch of rules and regulations. You know, our faith, you know, a lot of times people think our faith is about, I need to do this, but not do that. I need to follow this rule, but I don't need to be doing this. And so what happens is whenever we become a people of rules and regulation is that we end up sort of singing out of tune. You know, things aren't just quite right in the testimony that we're giving to people about what it means to walk with God. You know, I had much rather listen to somebody sing who sings in tune as opposed to a person who sings out of tune. You know, and this is evidence whenever you would watch, whenever American Idol was popular, and they'd have those people come in. I mean, you automatically knew those people, who you're like, that guy is great. But you also automatically knew when a person was maybe not all that good, you know, right? And so, you know, it's kind of horrible, and you kind of cringe, but it was such a train wreck. You know, you just couldn't quit watching. Now, my fear is that sometimes as believers, we, we are singing so out of tune because we believe that what it means to have a relationship with God is we think it means performing well, not understanding that what God is interested in with your life and my life is He is interested in a relationship with you. And that's sort of, that's sort of enlightening and intriguing to me to think that the God who created this whole world is interested in you. And so how do you know that? Well, today in our scripture, we're going to see that Jesus desires a relationship with people. He gives signs of it. And, and when God deals with people, he doesn't take an institutional approach. He takes a very personal approach. 
And that's what we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Now, just a little background of this text is this Jesus will be speaking here. And when he's speaking, he is in northern Israel. He's in a town called Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. It's a really pretty area. And that is a place where Jesus spent most of his ministry. It was not in the city of Jerusalem. It was really out in the, out in the, you know, sort of in the country, more rural scene in northern Israel. And that's where Jesus did most of his teaching. It's where he performed most of his miracles. But, but what's interesting is that even though he spent so much time there, Jesus was not well received there by a lot of people. And in particular, by the religious people. You see, the religious people were more involved in following rules and regulations so much so that they missed out on seeing the Savior. See, the result was their focus, because it wasn't on the Savior, their focus instead was on performance. And I think that's where a lot of people are today when they think of what it means to be a Christian. It's not about having an actual relationship with God. It is about us performing well. And there's a lot of us that do that. I mean, we think, well, I'm a good person or I'm a good, I'm a good Christian because I, I, you know, I come to church, I might put some money in the offering basket whenever I fill out a resume, you know, I'll put down where I go to church. But if you were to look into their lives to see what they're investing in, there's many of those people who really aren't investing anything in, in a walk with God, but instead it's all about performance because there's no relationship. And, and the big reason why I think is because most people struggle with the idea of thinking that Almighty God is actually interested in you. Do you know that God is interested in who you are and he wants a relationship with you? And when people look at our lives, they ought to hear that music from our lives that we have a relationship with God. They might say, well, how, how, how do we know that? Well, God today gives us some signs that he wants a relationship with you. And the very first sign that shows that Jesus wants a relationship with you is this. You're invited into a relationship with him. God invites you to know him, to have a relationship with him. Now, if you look with me in verse 28, you, you can see this. This is what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So Jesus makes an invitation to people. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, now, why did he say that? Well, if people need rest, the idea here is that people are tired. People are worn out. You know why they were tired and worn out? Because they were living or following the religious leaders of the day who were saying, if you want to be right with God, you have to follow the rules and regulations. The people tried to do it, but you know, if you... Y'all, I don't know about y'all, but anytime I see rules and regulations and I start seeing a whole lot of them, I just start thinking, man, there ain't no way. I can't do that. I mean, the, the people, they were trying to follow the law of God. And what the religious leaders did, they took the law of God and then they added some extra stuff onto it. They made it even more difficult. Let me give you a real quick example. The law says that before you eat, for the Jewish people, said you were to wash your hands, to be clean. Y'all, that that is... That is God sent. 
So washing your hands, that is a, that is a directive from God. So y'all make sure you wash your hands. Especially when you start shaking hands after that, you need to go back out there and get that antibacterial soap on it. So that is, that's scripture, baby. Right there, wash your hands. But here's what the religious leaders did. They said, you don't just wash your hands. They said, oh, no, you need to wash not just your hands, but you need to wash all the way down to your elbows. That's just interesting. So they took the law of God, and then they extended it. So the people are like, we need to wash our hands. But, but, but now the religious leaders say, but now we've got to start washing all the way down to our elbows. And, and they started doing that with all kinds of laws that came out in Scripture. Now, you know what happened because of that? People got tired. Man, they were having a difficult time trying to do what the law said and what the religious leaders said. So the religious leaders were making an invitation as well. They said, listen, if you want to be right with God, if you want to come to our party, then you've got to follow our rules as well. And so the people started there trying to live in a way where they weren't just trying to please God, but also trying to please people. Let me share with you what the Bible says in John 12, 42. It says, many did believe in Jesus among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, this is the religious leaders, they did not confess him. They did not confess Jesus. Why? So that they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they love praise from men more than praise from God. And I read that, and I thought, I've read that a lot. It just really struck me this time. It was really interesting to me. There were some people... Who were, who were faith, wanted to be faithful to God, and, and they came into contact with Jesus, and they saw what he was doing. They saw he performed miracles, an incredible teacher. They were with him, and, and here's what they came away with. That guy's somebody special. Then they walked away and said, that, that man, Jesus, he is the Messiah, and yet they would not confess him. Why? Because they wanted to please men more than God. They wanted to live off of performance instead of relationship. Let me tell you something. If you decide that you're going to try to live off of performance and make yourself right with God by doing a lot of good things, that's going to be a burden that is way too big for you and me to be able to lift. The religious leaders said, if you're going to be right with God, they should do this and you do that. You don't do this and you don't do that. Now, is that, is that how Jesus looks at faith? Here's what I noticed in, in our text today. Jesus did not say, do. You know what Jesus said? He said, come. He said, come to me. Now, it may surprise you to know that Jesus gave an invitation, not just to religious people. He didn't say, I only want religious people to follow me. He didn't say, I only want people who go to, you know, really good Christian schools to follow me. Jesus said, come to me all. He makes an invitation for all people to have a relationship with him. But before we can receive that invitation, we have to recognize our condition. What's our condition? Jesus said, come to me all you who are what? Weary and burdened. Now, that word burdened, it is speaking of putting a pack or a load upon the back of a work animal, you know, a beast of burden. Now, the people who were burdened, what they were burdened with was the legality of religion. They couldn't do everything right. 
And you know, generally speaking, a lot of times what we do is we just put burdens on each other all the time. We weigh each other down. Jesus said in Luke eleven forty six, Woe also to you experts in the law. You know, in other words, all you church people, a lot of times what you do is you load people down with burdens that are too heavy to carry, yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. And so people, they, they're, they're walking around, and still today, we walk around with the guilt. We walk around carrying the burden of all the things we haven't done right. And we sit there and we think, there's no way I can get out from underneath this. They are burdened. They are also weary. That word weary means they are laboring and toil, uh, toiling in disagreeable work. They are working to the point of exhaustion. These are the people Jesus sends out the invitation to. Those of you who are weary and burdened, Jesus says, come to me. Let's say, you know, all you people who are performing really well, I only want y'all. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I want the people who are weary and burdened to come to me because I want a relationship with you because I can heal you. Now, generally speaking, we have that backwards. We think only good people get invitations. Only people who perform well. You know, this kind of reminded me of a, of a story that I heard, and uh, I told it in the first service, and they weren't, y'all, they're not as sharp as y'all. So they didn't realize that this was a great story. So I'm setting y'all up so that you will know this. There are three guys. They died, and they stood before uh, Peter in, in heaven, and they're getting ready. The pearly gates were there. And Peter said, before you come in, you have to answer this question correctly. Y'all, this really doesn't happen. So if somebody wants to get onto me theologically, this is just a story. So anyway, so he, he says, okay, so there's three guys. Now, who are they? First guy's a teacher. Teacher, you know, he's, he's, I mean, he's worked with kids, so we all know performance-wise he automatically ought to go to heaven. Uh, works with children. He's a really nice guy, very selfless. The next guy was a garbage collector, kind of a rough guy, but he's there. The last guy's a lawyer, sort of shady guy. Uh, there's a few lawyers in here, I know, so y'all listen to this story because this means something here. And so he says, uh, so St. Peter's talking to this. Before you go to heaven, you gotta, you, you got to answer right. And he looked at the teacher and said, can you name the ship that ran into the iceberg and sunk? He's, oh, yes, the Titanic. Yes, that's right. You may enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he walks into the kingdom of heaven. And he looks at the garbage man. You know, he's kind of a rough guy. I mean, he's like, ah, he has performed all that great in life. But he said, uh, do you know how many people were killed on board the Titanic? He happened to know the answer. Yes, 1,500. That's absolutely right. You may enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he looked at the lawyer, and he knew that lawyer. The lawyer, man, he'd been, he'd been a pretty, pretty shady guy. You know, he's not like the lawyers we have in Village Church, right? And so he'd, he'd lived kind of a rough life, and he looked at him, and he said, 1,500 people died. He said, name them. Now, that's a guy. Okay, yeah, okay. I thought it was good. It made me laugh. Okay, now, that's a, that's a guy that I look at, I think, but thank God that God is not, you know, that he does not base whether or not we're going to get to be with him on our performance. I'm so glad to know that God doesn't work like that. We are all invited. We are all invited into a relationship with God. And, and that's the very first sign that shows us that, that God wants a relationship. He's, you're invited into a relationship with Him. But another sign that shows Jesus wants a relationship with you is He wants, he wants to instruct you. He wants to teach you. you know, in, in verse number 29, Jesus said, All of you, take up my yoke, and He says, and learn from me. That's the key part, learn from me. Because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. 
Now, Jesus wants a relationship with all people, so he invites all of us to be in relationship with him. He says, now, if you're going to be in relationship with me, I want you to be in relationship with me so that you can learn from me. So, so how do we learn from him? He says, I, I take my yoke upon you. Now, of course, a yoke, if any of you have grown up on a farm or you know anything about farming, which I don't, but a yoke is a basically like a wood frame you put over the like a neck of an animal or two, and it enables the, you know, I guess the, like the farmer to steer the animals to get them, they, and they're able to work together. And so the, the farmer's able to control them. So Jesus says, when you have relationship with me, I want you to learn from me, but if you're going to learn from me, he says, I want to put a yoke on you. Now you can look at that and think, well, why would I want to be enslaved by a yoke? Sounds like the only thing Jesus wants to do is he wants to burden me down even more. He wants to control me. And I want freedom. Now you have to look at this in light of the fact that the people at this time, they were under the yoke of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And the religious leaders were controlling the people, making them follow rules and regulations and not follow Jesus. And the people were worn out. And so Jesus said, I want to put a, a, I want you to be under a new yoke so that I can guide you so that it will be more comfortable, so that it will fit well around you. Because, you know, he's the one that made us. H- have, you ever, have you ever worn shoes before that were too tight? You know, they're not comfortable to have on. Uh, I remember whenever I was a kid, you know, whenever you're a kid and you start going through that growth spurt and your parents, they can't quite keep up, you know, your, you know, your, your pants that first are below your heel and the next thing you know they're like in the middle of your shins you know like within a week or two and you're the kid's embarrassed and parents are like man I can't keep doing this well that that happened to me with with shoes and so my my feet would you know buy me a new pair of shoes like two weeks later they didn't fit anymore and so what happened my feet were they were like ramming in to the end of my shoes it's really uncomfortable as a matter of fact it would always bruise my big toe toenail and it would bruise then it'd fall off it's a great story right lunch is coming up soon and so you know so it was just really uncomfortable now, Jesus is saying, now, whenever you wear the yoke of performance, hey, man, it's just, you're, just, you're, just, you know, you're just ramming into the end of the shoe, and it bruises you, and then your toenail falls off. It just doesn't feel good. So Jesus says, I want to put a new yoke on you that fits well, and he wants to do it so that you can learn from him because he's the one that's in control of you, guiding you. you know, that's why a farmer will put a yoke on an animal. It's so that he can do good and productive work. So if you're a follower of Jesus, did you know that Jesus has gifted you in order to do a work for him? And what's, he, what's he done? Well, he's given you a gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A demonstration of the Holy Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. You are all gifted, and God wants you to use your gift to serve him so that others might know him. Some of you are gifted in music. Some of you are, are gifted in, in administration. Some of you are gifted in hospitality. You're gifted in working with your hands. All these different gifts that you have. Now, some of you might say, well, how do I use my giftedness in order to serve God? Well, that's, we, that's why we went through C4 series. You need to go out to the C4 table. There's four different areas with a lot of things underneath them on how you can serve and use your giftedness in order to expand God's kingdom. But God is good, and he's given you a gift to use to serve him. Now, some of you might say, well, what if he's given me a gift, but it doesn't really make that big of a difference? Well, that's where you have to trust God. That when God gifts you, he knows what he's doing. 
He is training you to trust him. You know, one of my, I think one of the, one of the neat stories to learn about is Arabian horses. The, the way they used to be trained in the Arabian desert is the, the owners of those horses would take them out in the desert and they would deprive them of water for several days. I mean, it's really hot in the desert. And so after several days of training those horses, the horses, are, I mean, they are thirsty. And they bring them to water and they let them go. And he said, those horses just take off running to the water. But those horses, because they've been trained, when the trainer, this is how they know they're trained, the trainer will blow a whistle, and those horses, before they get to the water, they'll stop. And they'll deprive themselves of that water, and they will go back to their master. Now, why would they do that? Because they trust the master. Now, the good news is the master is not mean or evil and trying to, trying to get the horses to die of a thirst. He's trying to get them to trust him, so whenever they come back to him, then the trainer allows them to drink as much water as possible. You know, that's what, that's what Christ does with us. See, God, God knows what his children need. He just wants to, te- he just wants to teach us to trust him. And whenever, he tr- we, whenever we trust him, he provides for us all that we need. Do you know God has your best interest in mind? but you will never discover that until you put yourself under his leadership and learn from him. See, that's why he wants you to have a relationship with him. And we know that because he gives us some signs. He invites you into a relationship. He wants to instruct you. And then here's, here's the last sign to me that shows that Jesus wants a relationship with you. He's good to you. God is he's good. God is good. If you look in verse number 30, Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see that? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, now this, in some senses, if you know, if you've read some scripture, you know, well, this seems to be kind of contrary to what, what I know in the Bible. The Bible says, if I follow Jesus, there are things I can count on. 1 Peter 4.12, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which awaits you. This is Peter writing to Christians. It's not a verse we want to memorize. Follow Jesus and don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which awaits you. Psalm 34, 19, the beginning of it says, Many adversities come to the one who is righteous. I haven't seen those bumper stickers. There's another one. John 16, 33, Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And now, Jesus is saying, I want a relationship with you because I'm good to you. I'm looking at those verses going, he's good to me? Why would I want to put on his yoke if I'm being guaranteed that there is adversity that is ahead of me? Now, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Y'all, I am not built for discomfort. This body is for comfort, right? I mean, there's a lot of you going, amen, brother. I'm right there with you. I do not like discomfort. Jesus says, you follow me, there's going to be discomfort. Now, what's up with that? Well, let me share with you another side of this. I want to share with you whether you follow Jesus or not, there's going to be trials. Whether you follow Jesus or not, your heart is going to be broken. So then what's the difference? 
But whenever you put on the yoke of Jesus, what did he say? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. When you put on the yoke of Jesus, even when you face those things, he will lead you through those things. You see, without him, you won't. You'll be crushed by those things. But with the yoke of Jesus on, he will lead you through them. Let me share with you those verses I read to you earlier. Psalm 34, 19 tells us that the righteous will face many adversities. I love this. The last part of it says, but the Lord delivers him from them all. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you will have, tr- be, have, you will have trouble. But the last part of that verse says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, God's burden is light because he carries us through this life. His burden is light because he will carry us through all the junk of life, and he's going to bring us eventually to victory. Yeah, I remember in the, in the summer when my, my sons were in high school, they, they played football. And uh, it's fun. I, I can look out here, and I see some of the kids they played football with. I see one of the coaches they played football with. And uh, when they play football, you go to the practice, I pick them up, and, and they would, I'd sit there and watch them. It's summer. You know, South Carolina, it's like 1,050 degrees. 117% humidity, and that's why they're just sweating their brains out. And I'm in my car at the air conditioner, I'm going, what a bunch of suckers. You know, what are they doing out there? You know, nobody's watching them, they're just out there sweating. And then they come, and I remember, you know, the, so I have my you know, I have my car, it's not exactly, it's not big. And so, and, and ultimately, there would always be, you know, Hank or Glenn would come in the car, they'd get in the car, go, hey, I got three guys who need to ride home. So they'd all three get in, and y'all, let me tell you, boys, Reek. I mean, it's horrible. They get in my car, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm just trying not to gag driving home. You know, I get Febreze out. I mean, Febreze, I think, it didn't matter. Still to this day, it's been years now, and, it's, and you can smell them boys still. And so the entire I'm sitting there, why do they do this stuff? You know why? Because they knew there were going to be Fridays. And whenever Fridays came during the season, those stands, there's going to be fans coming into the games. They're going to watch those boys play. They're going to be cheering them on. And there's going to be those times when those boys win. They're going to fight together. They're going to struggle together. And when that happens, then those, that's why they do it. Because it's worth it. And, you know, some of us say, well, why would we put ourselves through the strenuous exercise of following Jesus? Why go against everything we naturally like to do? When somebody makes me mad, I want to yell at them. You know, when somebody cheats me, I want to get my pound of flesh. You know, why would I want to keep myself sexually pure whenever no one else, it seems like, is? Let me tell you why. Because there is coming a day when we are going to stand before God, and when we do, if we have invested our lives in Him and have entrusted ourselves to Him, Jesus is going to bring us into the kingdom of God. And whenever we look at life like that from that perspective, man, it's going to make us different. We'll be, we'll be able to say as Paul did in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Oh, God is good. There is a hope, not just in this life, of forgiveness, joy, but there is a promise that there is a tomorrow that will last for an eternity in heaven. 
And that's why Jesus wants a relationship. Now think about this. He wants a relationship with you. Just you. Not based on how good of a person you are, what family you're from, what you have done or have not done. Jesus wants you. And we see some signs of it. He invites you into a relationship. He wants to instruct you. And he is so, so good to you. Now here's my question. What kind of a sound, what kind of music is coming from your life? Are people able to look at you and know that you are a person that loves Jesus? That has a relationship with Him? That knows that whenever they look at you, that you are a person who says, you know what, I am, I am, I am, I belong to Jesus not because of how good I am, but because He's good. So Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He says, take my yoke upon you. Why? Well, it's real simple. Because in the end, he says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Now, I'd like for us to conclude the service. We can bow our heads and close our eyes. And there might be some of you today, and you say, you know what? I've been all about performance. But I want, I want relationship. And if you'd like that where you're seated, you can just simply, you can pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, today, God, I put myself at your mercy. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I'm believing in you. I am entrusting my life to you. I believe in who you are. I believe that you lived and that you died and that you rose from the grave. And Jesus, I am believing that you will rescue me. Thank you. Now, if, if you pray that prayer or something like it, I, let us know. Take your bulletin out. And you fill out that contact form in there. Put your name on it. Check that line. It says, I commit my life to Christ. Tear it out. Put it in a basket. As you leave today, our ushers will be holding the basket. You just drop it in there. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Drop it in there. We'll get you some information in the mail about growing in the walk with Jesus. There are others of you who are followers of Christ. Maybe over time, you, know, you just kind of, you kind of look back and you see some of the performance in your life and, and there's just an amazing amount of guilt that you're carrying around. I want you to leave here today knowing God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And once you come into a relationship with Him, you always belong to Him. simply tell Jesus right now, just Lord, thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you love us, that you seek us out. God, that you want us. I pray that the walls that we set up that keep you away, God, that they will come down and we will just simply say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I pray these things in Christ's name.